again, it's a form of warfare. So we just recognize that condemnation, accusation, and offense are forms of spiritual warfare that the enemy brings against us to stop us from fulfilling purpose and destiny. Bless the Lord. Go ahead. Go ahead. You have to know that when you, when the word comes and you are convicted, and that's really what it is, when you're convicted, then the enemy is right there to call, try to get us to feel offended because of our conviction. When the word of God finds us, I want to sort of tell you the difference between con conviction and condemnation. And I'll use a building. The city can send in uh, inspectors to look at a building, find out all the stuff that's wrong with it because their intention is to tear that building down. So after they find out all the things that are wrong with that building, they will put a sign out on the front and it will say condemned. It's got so much wrong with it that uh, we don't deem it even worthy to try to make the repairs, let's just tear it down. Here is conviction. The inspection of the Holy Spirit comes into our life, finds all the things that are wrong. But instead of setting a notice out to say this is condemned, he says, now let's get a work order and let's start making repairs. So when conviction comes, don't receive it as condemnation. The word's not coming to say, you're no good, I can't work with you, now get offended, feel accused, walk out the door and never come back. The word comes and we find the things that are wrong and out of order and now we respond and say, okay, Lord, work on me. That's what you do even when you're sitting in your seat and the enemy's telling you, see, pastor got something against me. He's trying to put out all my business. No, that's not what's happening. What's happening is you're sensing the word, the word of God, which is sharper than any two-edged sword able to divide between soul and spirit. What does that mean? He's able to look and see what's the true motivation in your heart. Why you really do what you do. And when we're found wanting, when we're found lacking, when we see that our pipes are rusty, just like a building, and uh, our plumbing is bad, and our electrical wiring is, is towed up, and <laughs> we got rodents and bugs and insects infesting the walls, and when he points it out, you don't go, well, that ain't me. Well, who are you to come up here and be looking all up in my business? No, no, no. Just say, "That's Lord, you're right. You're right. Fix it, Lord. I don't want, I don't want my house contaminated, towed up, out of order. Repair me, Lord. I reject accusation. Remember that prayer that we when we put up, there's a reason why we even have that as part of our prayer. We open up all of our meetings with I reject the thoughts of offense where the light of your word exposes my sin. I do not take offense. That's a prayer that we kept running into this so much here in Harrisburg. We made this part of our opening prayer every Sunday. I reject the thoughts of offense. I reject condemnation. Your word says that Jesus did not come to condemn people. This word does not come to condemn me. What does it come for? It comes to heal me. That's the response. Then the next one, I reject accusation. 
The leaders are not the ones accusing me. Who does the accusing? Satan is the accuser of brothers and sisters. And this word does not come to accuse me or abuse me. This word exposes who? Satan and his lies. And then we make a choice. I choose to believe and receive the truth. I want you to do that right now in light of what Dr. Walker has shared with us so far this morning. Come on, just say, Lord, I receive the, the truth. Now be real conscious right now. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you right now about whatever area that he's already been dealing with you about, about being more committed, about being consistent. And even for the leaders, you got to understand, Dr. Walker got up here and he confessed. He said, we stood up here, we said we was going to do things a certain way, and then we broke the rules. So he was we're very open. He, he said, we didn't do what we said we was going to do. So it's everybody. So everyone said, Lord, I'm coming into your order. That's right. I'm coming into your order. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand this morning. Thank you, Lord. There was a word that the Lord put on my heart for you guys, and uh, you can pass out those. I, I think we'll just do that. I won't follow the, all of what I plan to do and get into today. I really just want to get to this. You can pass those out. Uh, there's a word that the Lord put on my heart as I was just anticipating and thinking about our return and coming to minister this morning. Uh, For those of you that have heard different parts of this message before, I just would encourage you to go back and get the, the, the first two CDs in which we were talking about uh, unlocking the dream within us. I talked about earlier how I believe that there's a difference between a fantasy and a dream. Millions of people are chasing fantasies, and they're calling it a dream, but it's, it's really not. Um, Fantasies are just using your imagination to come up with ideas. You can even look at your own gifts and talents and say, I want to be sit, I want to be this, I want to be that, you know, I want to be famous, I want to be, uh, you know, I want to win American Idol. I wanna, there's nothing wrong with those things, but if that's not what God has planned for you, it's just a fantasy. It's not a dream. Many people call what they want to do with their life a dream, but it's really the Bible calls it a fantasy, and you're chasing a fantasy because a dream really comes from God. And we spoke from Psalm 139 where the Lord says uh, that he formed us in our mother's womb. And he, there are days that were already ordained for us. God has already put within us, encoded it, I believe it's encoded in our very DNA, what his plans are for our lives. And so the Lord gave me this word uh, that I needed to share with you today. I believe that you are, you had no idea I was going to share this. My family and I used to travel around the country back in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, before the whinings and before commission and groups like that that came forth in the 80s and the 90s. There were a lot of us family groups like that and ensemble groups back in the 70s and 80s. And 
this was before the music industry was accepting that style of ministry because up until then it was mostly choirs and solo singers that were accepted in the gospel music and contemporary Christian music industry. And our family was of such, and we traveled around the country and everywhere we go, I have a brother, one of my brothers who's passed away now, he would say to everywhere we go, he would tell people, you are an answer to someone's prayer. So all these years later, you have no idea, sir, to fast forward for us almost 40 years, <laughs> 35 years, and to see a, a young man stand up and say, you're the solution. It's a word that wasn't heard way back then when we were in our 20s. And we'd go around the country and we would say things like that because the church was in a very religious place. Things like that sounded arrogant and boastful to tell people you are an answer to someone's prayer. And I wanna tie it with this word concerning God's purpose for allowing you to be born in this time and season. As it was with Moses and as it was with Jesus, and I believe it's been throughout all of mankind, when a cry goes up to God for help, God has always responded by sending a baby into the world. He would plant the seed of the answer to that cry in the womb of some woman. God knew that in America in 2016, our nation would be ripped apart so 25 years ago 20 years ago 35 years ago however your age is now count back that many years and God sent the child into the world knowing that in 2016 we would need that baby we would need that soul. We would need that person here because he heard the cry of America. So 30 years ago, he put the answer to that cry in your mother's womb. That's why you're here. This isn't just a man and a woman begging you to come and please come to church and please be consistent. It's because God heard the cry of America. And he sent you, and he encoded within you the answers to someone's prayer. See, because God lives outside of eternity, so he didn't have to wait till 2016 to then put you here. He knew what it would already be like. So God was 25, 30, 35. How many of y'all in your 40s? Any 40s and 50-year-olds in here? God already put you in your mother's womb and said, and ordained your days. Now you know why I use that scripture from Psalm 139. I formed you and fashioned you in your mother's womb. 
I already knew you. And I ordained your days. So that one in the time when your nation is falling apart, I will be able to raise you up in gross darkness and say, here's my light. So now can you hear the words, now, now, now look at you, point to yourself and say, I am the solution. God sent me here to be an answer for America and the world. Come on, bless the Lord right now. Yes, Lord. Would you receive that right now? Yes, Lord. That's why you're here. That's why you're here. And your mother may not have had her life together. But one thing God knew that she wouldn't do. He knew that he, she wasn't going to abort you. She may not have even known how to raise you. But he knew that she wasn't going to stop you from being getting here. You know why God could choose the mother of Moses? Because even though Pharaoh sent out an order that all these babies should be thrown into the river and drowned, he chose her because he knew she would be the one who would not follow the order of the Pharaoh. So I want you to kind of, I don't know what your relationship is like with your mom. Some of you, it's not very good. But at least, at least give her this much credit. In a time when abortion was legal, and she could have said, I can't pay for another baby. I can't afford another child. She still made the decision. God could choose her to bring forth. Think, think, think about it, guys. God could choose your mom because he knew she would not abort the plan of God. That's why I know God can use some people that your mom may not even known the Lord at the time that you were born. Still may not know God to this day, have any relationship with him. But God knew one thing, she was not going to throw you in the river. She was not going to give in to the plan of Pharaoh. God could choose Mary, little Jewish girl. Because he knew she wasn't going to back off. Even an embarrassing situation in their day. It was unheard of, almost unheard of for a girl to say that uh, she was pregnant and didn't have no husband. And, based, and how could she explain this? She was engaged. Brothers, just think about it. If your, if your fiance came to you and said, uh, like, uh, I'm pregnant and the baby ain't yours and this is your fiance. God knew that he could trust her, that she wouldn't back out of the plan. He knew that he could trust her husband-to-be 
that he wouldn't back out on her. Why am I sharing this with you guys today? Because God always responds with a cry for help by planting a seed. He plants a life into the earth that he knows is going to be an answer to that cry for help. I want you to just to turn to the page that I put in front of you. You got any left? You gave them all out. Somebody hand me one. <laughs> I'll let my wife read it. She reads a lot better than I do. This comes, this is, an, this is an excerpt from the book that I wrote many, many years ago, back in 2002. It's back there in the back, by the way, uh, called What Now? And I call this section, Get Your GED, God's Eternal Design. I'm gonna ask my wife just to read this portion and then I wanna share with you these principles and then get out of the way. Sometimes people who missed academic lessons and classes the first time go back and get them again. They can get the information they missed and thus get the opportunity to make things right. When it comes to God's purpose, you can have a doctorate level of earthly education, but still have missed his lessons in classes. You must go back to get God's Eternal Designs, or GED. Some of you are planning to earn an engineering degree and then a high paying position somewhere, but God plans to use you as an urban school teacher. Some of you are in medical school planning for your own medical practice, but God plans to use you in missions and outreach. Some of you can speak three languages and plan to work at the United Nations, but God wants you to be an interpreter for a local pastor who has a multi-ethnic membership. Some of you are powerful singers and songwriters who plan to travel all over the world but God wants you to sing and write for children's ministries and record nursery rhymes to save a new generation. This is what I mean by having a GED, God's eternal design. Like the whole world, you can become so money and fame driven, you associate your life's work with only those occupations that will bring wealth and notoriety. You can quote scriptures about being the head and not the tail. You can declare you are above and not beneath. You can say you are more than a conqueror, but have no concept that true success is obedience to God. True blessing is walking in the will and plans of God for your life. Your self-esteem can be so attached to your own concepts of success that you can actually refuse to walk in the will of God. You will find it difficult to receive God's will as being anything other than the image you cherish for your future. I believe God is seeking to release a generation that will truly seek his heart and not just his hand. God wants a generation that will embrace the true GED. We are taught in geometry the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. I have discovered in life, the shortest distance between two points is not necessarily a straight line. The shortest distance is actually obedience to God. The most direct path may seem like the shortest distance on the surface, but only God knows it will actually lead to a 10-year detour of your destiny. 
God reserves the right to tell you the shortest route between where you are now and where you are going, which may involve stopping in places and working with people that are not in your route plans. <laughs> he knows the way he sends you will take you across the path of people, events, and resources you will need when you arrive at your destination. You must trust God with your future. You must trust him with the path and the process to get you there. You must trust his design for your life. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Come on, give Lord a hand. Thank, thank you, Lord. <laughs> we share those things with you because for us, all of these years, and now it's uh, 12 years here in Harrisburg, several years in St. Louis, 17, being involved in ministry there. And we've watched repeatedly as God's people have come to this point in their lives where it's like, okay, what am I going to do? What am I really here for? And once you make that connection, here is the reason why Dr. Walker was talking the way he was today. It's gonna to require discipline, diligence, determination, discernment, and devotion to walk out and to live out this thing that God has encoded within you. There are four types of people, according to Rick Godwin, love this brother, from San Antonio, Texas. He says there are momentum breakers, there are momentum takers, momentum fakers, <laughs> and momentum makers. Now, momentum breakers are those kind of people, they're, they're the ones always telling us why it can't be done. We don't have the money. We don't have enough people. <laughs> uh, and they're always skeptical. Listen to me, guys. I've seen enough of this in Harrisburg to tell you, don't be a momentum breaker. When vision comes forth, don't let, don't let the first question out of your mouth be, how are we going to do that? Where are we going to get the money? How are we going to pay for that? Don't be a momentum breaker. The next one, momentum takers. These are the ones who are selfish. They use the energy of others for themselves. In other words, they'll just go with the flow. They, they, they show up all the time. They just ride with the momentum. But they really don't really do anything. They just have this way of just showing up. When it's big and it's happening and there's a big crowd and we're all packed out in this room, they're here. <laughs> but, like he's, but like Dr. Walker was saying, but what we really need are those ones who are not just going to just show up after the momentum's already flowing. You're a momentum taker if you, if you wait. I mean, I, I remember when the, I saw where Dr. Walker posted the first time of uh, the Hood Rise uh, meeting the call to action and uh, I saw one person posted on there uh, he didn't respond he was so good he didn't respond but they they asked they, they said something to the effect of uh, I'm tired of always going to these meetings in Harrisburg where they just talk and they never really do anything so uh, it was the ba basic that the message was you know call me or tell me what y'all doing after y'all decide you know after you meet then I want to it's like no that's a momentum taker Showing up after we already got things going. No, you're just there for the ride. 
when you look and drive around Harrisburg, or if you go into Philly, go to Pittsburgh, and you see stadiums and buildings and huge events and monuments, well, those things came about not just because people came together with money. I've seen lots of things where people have come together and they had the money to pull it off and they still didn't accomplish it. So get rid of that thought that we need money to make this happen. It ain't just money. You need some people who are committed and committed to see a thing through all the way to the end. Some people have wondered, and I can say this as an outsider coming in, you go, well, the West Shore, the reason why they're so successful is because there's white people and they got money. No, it's not just white people who got money. It's some people over there who got a different mindset who say, if we start something, we're going to stay here until it gets done. If we don't have the money to do it, then we'll start a fundraiser to make it happen. If we fundraiser ain't going to make it happen, we'll get on the phone and we'll barter. You do something a little bit for me, I'll do something for you. We're going to make this happen. That's the only difference between East Shore and West Shore. It's not money and white. It's a different mindset that says we can do it. We will do it. Over here, I've seen a lot of we can, we can, we can. God is able. Preachers stand up and God is able. And I'm, I'm sick of God is able messages. I already know God is able. One man who came to Jesus for healing said, you know, Jesus, I know that you're, that you're able, but what I want to know is are you willing? And Jesus said, I am willing. Be healed. So the over, oh, that's what we got to come to on this side of the river. No more God is able. No, God is willing, and I receive it. Come on, bless the Lord right now. Don't be a momentum faker. Momentum fakers are those ones they got the wrong motive for being in this in the first place. They're here for personal gain. They just glean the good, and then they leave. They just glean the good. What do I mean? They come, they see what's happening, and they pick up on the ideas of what's happening here, and then they run out, and then they try to do it too. Those are momentum fakers. I've seen that a lot in Harrisburg too. There's different things. We would get start and start because uh, they were things that God told us to do. And we would come here and implement them, and same as you. Try to get other people to rally around, and they come and check out, see what we're doing. And then I'd see two or three months later on their website that they're announcing that they're trying to do the same thing that I just asked them to come help me do. Momentum fakers. <laughs> I know you've seen it. <laughs> I'm sure sure you've seen a lot of empowerment ideas and hood rise ideas, and they'll come and sit here and hear what you're doing here, and then next thing you know, you hear that they're trying to do it. I'm like, what? We spent all that time asking you to help us. And I want to say this to you. Don't be discouraged. Got a word for you. <laughs> then there's the momentum makers. Amen. That's what I'm looking at in this room. These are the ones who strengthen the move with their influence. They add value. That's what Dr. Walker is saying. Come, add value. I recognize the value that you're coming to the table with. And the Lord sent us here to tell you that that value started before you were even born. When you were conceived in your mother's womb, God put value, purpose right there. 
and it's encoded in your very DNA. And he knew that the day would come when he would cause all our paths to cross and to meet at this place at this time. And now he's saying, now come on, add your part. Just add your part. You don't have to run out and try to start your own thing. That's what I'm loving about what I'm seeing. You don't have to start your own thing and try to keep it running. Do you know that God will bring you into a place like empowerment center? The reason why it's called empowerment is so that you are empowered, enabled to do and release what God has put in you. I want you to know it's not an easy thing to start it all up and get it all going. So I would I just love the idea of like I'm already empowered. God's already given it to me. Now I can just come into a place and just add in what I've got. I don't have to worry about running it all, supporting it all, you know, because you don't know the headache that the leaders go through. They're up and they're praying they're tossing and turning at night for you. I can tell you. This man stood up here and he teared up trying to hold back how he felt about the young man he mentored because you pour your life into them. They're not trying to control anybody. Folks that are, I'm just saying it to you, and I'm, I'm not being prophetic, I'm just telling you that this is part of, this is just how, this is how it is. Happened in St. Louis, happened to us when we got here, and we're in a season in America, it's like, stop all that. Come on, get on board. But for him to pour his life, and they poured into so many people. And I know some of you come from backgrounds where if somebody pours into you like that, you're wondering, what do they want back in return? I know you want something back. What's the catch? What's the real deal? You know what the real deal is? They want you. They want you to be just empowered to be released. They want you to come into a real relationship with God. Some of you may have wondered, is this really uh, uh, the kind of church I want to be in? Because he doesn't stand up here and he don't do altar calls and he doesn't really say it the way I'm used to hearing it said. And that's intentional because he knows he's talking to a generation where those religious phrases are turnoffs. Those phrases said in certain ways now make people think that they're joining a cult. So now he has to stand up here and say things like, God wants to get a hold of your life. He's given you a purpose. He's made you the solution. And some of us in our religion go, wait a minute, that sounds like new age. No, this is not new age. This is the real thing. But he has to say it in words and a language that people outside of these walls understand outside of these walls they don't understand jesus christ will he, he his blood is going to cover you and wash you and purify your heart they go blood wash me those words make perfect sense to us because we're already in it but outside of here talking about you know let the blood of Jesus just, what, what? Why am I saying this? Because people's minds have been so conditioned. Thinking about, just think about the movies and the commercials and even the cartoons with incantations and witchcraft spells that have been spoken and released and they use those types of words. So they come to us and we're saying things like blood and sacrifice and like, what? Oh, hey, oh, oh. 
Why am I sharing this with you? So that you can have confidence in the strategy that God has given your leaders. You can have confidence. These are, these are, believe me, we wouldn't be here if this was a cult. We would not be here if this was a man and woman of God who was just trying to get your money. I'm saying this as an endorsement. He didn't pay us to say this, but I feel like I need to share this with you. You're in a place where the real reason for God giving you life and breath can actually come forth. It can actually happen. Remember that movie, Angels in the Outfield? How many of you remember that movie? And the little boy kept saying, it can happen. Well, without being all deep and mystical like they were in that movie, and want you to at least tell somebody, say, it can happen. And now let's go to the next step. It will happen. Thank you, Lord. Now, here's my word of caution to you. And I put, wrote it down, have it written there. Intentionally, many leaders focus on the momentum breakers, the takers and the fakers. And I want to say that to all the leaders in the house, don't waste the time just dealing, just talking to them. I grew up in church. And so I can tell you, you lose a lot of momentum. You become leaders. You'll become a momentum breaker, taker and faker by spending all the time focusing on them. Go ahead and just roll with the people that want to do it. Roll with them. What's my Bible story backup for that? Anybody know the story of a man named Gideon? Gideon raised this guy. God raised this guy up named Gideon. Uh, He didn't feel worthy. He was scared. He was hiding from the enemy. And God called him out to be a leader. Rallied everybody together. Called him forth to to go and uh, uh, deal with the enemies of God. 32,000 people showed up. I'm going to share something. I want you to understand this real clear today because sometimes we're looking at all these churches that's got 30,000 members. But here's, the, here's what the Bible, here, here's Bible. story of Gideon is he started off with 32,000 people. God said you got too many. So I don't want you to ever be impressed by the big, huge ministries. God told Gideon, you got too many because if I give them victory, with 32,000, they're going to think they did it. They're going to think it was in their numbers. So he said, tell everybody, he told Gideon, tell everybody that's scared, go home. Part of what you're going through right now, brother, is people that are scared. They've heard the call to action. They're afraid. So let them go because they're afraid. They're not ready because where you got to go, you're going front line, head on with the enemy. And you don't want the people that, what was the guy's name, that abandoned Paul, John Mark. The right when you in the heat of the battle and getting persecution and folks after your life, they bail out on you. So you're scared, then go home now. And I'm sure Gideon didn't expect that when he said, everybody that's scared, go home. He probably thought it may be a couple hundred people. But 22,000 people. <laughs> bailed out why am I sharing this with you because what's about to happen to America as you guys can see it the lines are being drawn in the sand you're on one side or the other you better believe that there's a whole lot of people sitting up in big huge churches 
when the cry goes out and says, everybody's scared, go home, they're going home. So that left them with 10,000. But then God said, you still got too many. I'm like, what do you mean, too many? <laughs> we about to take on an army. <laughs> thousands and thousands of people. And you saying 10,000 is too many? You got too many. So they said, now I'm going to test you. And that's what's happening. Empowerment Center, you're in the testing period. And the second test was very, very tough. The Lord told Gideon, have them go to this Let's go to this uh, uh, brook of water, place of water, and just watch them. Watch everybody when they stop to get something to drink. He said, now everybody that brings the water, scoops it up, and laps it like a dog, keep them. But the ones who drop their weapons and everything and just, they're not ready. What does that mean? The ones who just drop everything and... That mean, those are the ones who, they want eight to five nights off, weekends off. That's what they want. That's what it means. And for the war you're going to, you can't think of eight to five and I got weekends off. You can't think of when night comes, that's my time. When weekends come, that's my time. And I'll give God a couple of hours when I come to church on Sunday, once, maybe twice a month. See, you're one of those ones. <laughs> but for the ones who are willing to scoop the water up, bring it up to your mouth, and just lap it like a dog because you're still looking around. You're still vigilant. I'm still watching for my family. Still watching for my wife, my kids. I still got the heart of my city. See that? So I'm just drinking just to sustain myself, but, the, but I'm still watchful. I'm keeping my place on the wall. I'm going to be here. Put it in practical sense, that means that at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, I'm going to be here. Now, you don't start with 10 o'clock Sunday morning. That means that on Saturday night, so I'm giving you something practical. That means you don't stay up Netflix binging till 3 o'clock in the morning. It means go to bed 10, 11 o'clock Saturday night so that I'm ready. So that Sunday morning, 7 o'clock, I'm, I'm getting up, and I'm getting myself at 7 o'clock. That's three hours. That's four hours before service. Yes. Why? Because you're, I'm lapping like a dog. So I don't think in terms of when I get to the building, now I'm on. You're saying, I'm getting myself ready. This means ordering my whole week. And I know that this is tough for because there's so many young families here. And you got and your children are lap babies and they're toddlers. But I'm telling you what we had to live. My wife and I had three small kids while I was the associate pastor of the church, youth pastors, 
handling the business, handling the media ministry, administration. So I'm telling you what I know. That meant, for me, it meant Saturdays. I would go in because I was over the media and the sound system and the camera system. I'd go in on Saturday, Saturday morning or Saturday evening and get everything ready. Not wait till run in on Sunday and then start pushing buttons and trying to get everything ready at the last second. I come in on Saturdays and get everything tested. Because there's this demon that gets in sound systems. And the one time you don't check it, ain't that right, sound man? The one time you don't check it is the one time that you turn everything on and nothing works. But you would have made that discovery if you came in Saturday night. Because that's how serious this is. Some of you on your jobs, you know how we've got a project coming up. And you'll work, even though you're supposed to get off at 5, you work till 7 or 8. And I've done it because I work for the state. I've been on my job, on my state job, as late as 2 o'clock in the morning working on projects. Why? Because that's what it takes if you're going to be successful. It's not 8 to 5. I want you to stop thinking like a consumer. You're now the producers. You're not the consumers. Consumers think in terms of do my eight hours, weekends off. But when you're the producer of a product, it's whatever amount of time it takes to get it done. You're one of those ones. You're going to see this picture. Drinking the water. Still on my post. That's the mindset we're talking about. So it's going to take being diligent. I mean, so let me start off discipline. Get yourself on a schedule. Change your diet. Start exercising. I'm talking to myself, too. I haven't been exercising like I was supposed to the last couple of months. <sighs> For some of you, it's going to mean as far as uh, learning how to do some of the things that need to be done. And I had to do it, too. I, I love when you're telling your stories of where you come from and what you've been through. And this is part of mine, so I'm, I'm telling you out of my own life. The whole lot of things I did not know how to do, so I start, I would go to the community college and take some of those courses uh, uh, about administration and business, things that I didn't know how to do, I'd go and find out how to do it. And you guys have the convenience now, you can go online there's a whole lot of stuff you can Google and find out how to do it for free. Yeah. Everything from sound to microphones to uh, vacuuming the floor. Do you know how much of a relief it is? I'm not saying you never do it, but for those of you that come in early or stay late and clean this room up and clean up the offices and have everything ready, it's one more thing that your leaders don't have to worry about. Because all of that is important. When people come here, you only get one chance to make a first impression. Always remember that. You only get one opportunity to make a first impression. Someone could be walking up in here who could be planning.
to give this ministry $10,000 and they will make that decision based upon how things are in order. Again, telling you what I know. In our church in St. Louis, former Miss America Debbie Turner was a member there. And her brother-in-law was pastor of one of those big, huge churches in Texas. They happened to visit our church one Sunday morning. And this brother, this pastor, uh, at the end of the service, my brother recognized him. My brother said, my, my, the pastor of our church is my older brother. That's when I say brother. He's my literal brother. So he recognized this pastor from Texas, Debbie Turner's brother-in-law. You know how they do in church. Oh, so good to see you. Oh, my God, you were here visiting our church. Oh, just have something to say to the congregation. So this guy stands up, and he says, I know that this is a house of order. I was very impressed with this ministry. He said, because I had to go to the restroom. And when I went to the restroom, the men's restroom was so clean. It wasn't stinking. <laughs> it was so clean. I know this is a house of order. And with this being a house of order, I just want to bless this house. So he gave our church $5,000 that day because he saw excellence and a place of order that he knew I can invest in it. And I know they're going to spend it well because I'm already looking at it. He didn't go by the praise and worship, which is awesome. He didn't go by the dancers because we did all of that. Because, I mean, in our church, when we had praise and worship, we do songs like righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. Whole congregation. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the, can you imagine a whole congregation of people? Yeah, we had choreography in our praise and worship. And not just the dancers. The whole congregation be doing it. So that ain't even what impressed him. Not the slamming band. The lights, the cameras, everything. He was impressed by a clean men's restroom. Because, you know, ladies' restroom is usually, going, you know, because sisters be like, uh-uh. I ain't sitting, I ain't going in no nasty place. But a clean men's restroom got him. Discipline. <laughs> and it can't be the pastor that cleaned the bathroom. It's that consistent doing it every time. And without getting offended. Because nobody recognizes that I'm cleaning the bathroom faithfully. Understanding that God will reward your service. I'm telling you what I know, guys. You can't expect these great blessings to come upon your dream if you're not willing to invest in the work of another man. That's what's kept Harrisburg held back. We must invest in somebody else's. You've got to plant and so, because think about it, for what it is that you feel God, God has called you to do, I had this with our, one, of our, one of our team members that first came here with us, and that's part of our journey is that uh, our, my team bailed out and went back to St. Louis. 
They saw how, how tough it is here in Harrisburg. It's like, oh, no, I ain't signed up for that. Oh, yeah. Sound familiar? <laughs> I ain't signed up for all of this. Harrisburg's a tough place. But it's a place that will test the motivation of what's really in your heart. It tests what's really in your heart. Why you do what you do. And you must be willing to plant and sow in something that God, that something that God has given somebody else. Because you can't expect, and I had this to happen with one of my team members. He, he wanted to one day own his own restaurant. And so I gave him this analogy since he wanted to have his own restaurant and all of that. I said, it doesn't make any difference how good the food is. If people get poor service, they ain't coming back. So I said, for you guys, you are like the waiters and waitresses. It doesn't make any difference how good me and my wife teach and preach in this church. If people don't get good service, they are not coming back. So I said, that's what you're going to be expecting when you get your restaurant. If you don't give us what you're expecting your people, your employers to one day do for you, then you'll never see it. If you want good employers, you want good waiters and waitresses to run your restaurant, then you better be a good and faithful steward and servant in the house of God. Because you're going to get back what you sow. You sow inconsistency, then you always get those employees that are always calling off. You're like, I got a business to run in here. Yeah, but they're always calling off. Why are they always calling off? Because you was always calling off. It's a tough word today. Now I know why the Lord took three times for us to come here before I could deliver it. <laughs> and he used you to set it up. I didn't even have to set it up. Just <laughs> Going to have to be willing to, guys, ladies, turn off the TV, turn off the video games, quit, get off the Pokemon Go. <laughs> why? Because I'm not, I'm not condemning that. I'm talking about if you're going to spend your time on that, then when are you going to ever be working on what God put in you? Don't you know that the, that the millions of people who are spending all their time on their phone playing games, you're contributing to somebody else's dream? Not to what God put in you. Singers that are in the house, start rehearsing. Turn the TV off, put on your music track, rehearse in your house. Don't wait till you stand up here and <coughs> no, no, you don't rehearse in front of the people. Get ready now. Those of you that are writers, Pastor Chris, I'm, I'm not fussing at you. I'm giving you, you got to have this because I want you to fulfill the thing that God sold into you at your conception, not your birth, at your conception. He put it there. Those of you that are writers, write. But I don't have no distribution deal. I don't have no contract. Just write. I had a young man from Philly call me, you know, uh, I, I want to write a book. Okay, so what do I need to do? I said, write the book. But what about the cover design? And I said, don't worry about the cover. Who's going to distribute the book? The di write the book 
Why am I getting into this? Because sometimes out of our lack of discipline, we're so we're thinking about the end product. We're so busy thinking about what it's going to look like at the finish of it. We won't start. You're worried about the book cover and you haven't wrote the book yet. Write it. Some of you are full of poetry, full of essays. Some of you got stories inside of you. So you're thinking one day I'm going to write this movie. And, and so you never get to it. Write the script. Don't wait for the producer and the director and trying to get with a film agent. First, write the script. Why? Because one day, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity is coming your way. And you need to have it ready. I used to say this to one of my spiritual daughters. She was always telling us how that she had this script that she wanted to write. And I say, write it, write it. And I would say those very words because one day, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity is going to come and you're going to need to be able to just hand them the script. Little did she know, Cedric the Entertainer, who is from St. Louis, she finds herself at this big event of a relative of hers. And she's there. She goes, and they're sitting with Cedric the Entertainer. And he's talking about how he really wants to do more help in the city because St. Louis is his hometown. And she tells him about this script idea she has. And he says, well, give me the script. And she, her only answer is, I haven't written it yet. I told you, write it because one day, a once in a lifetime opportunity is coming and you need to already be ready to just say, oh, bam, here's the script. Yes, Lord. Well, I guess I have to come back and do diligent determination, discernment, and devotion later. Come on, bless the Lord.